Welcome to another episode of Electable. Uh, I'm Deb Chubb, and this is sponsored by the Indiana Women's Action Movement. And today we are back with Destiny Scott Wells for an update on all of the trials and tribulations of our Indiana State Attorney General, Padro Kita. Uh, we have to, like, we have to spend time before we talk on, on this show sorting out all of the stuff. It is just incredible how much stuff uh, this, this uh, guy is doing. And, uh, you know, it all kind of boils down to how can I get my name in the newspaper, uh, most of it. Um, but it is uh, all also very curious and interesting. So welcome, Destiny. Thanks for joining us again. I'm happy to be here. Good. All right. So, okay, we got to get right into it. First thing, let's talk about the case um, against Holcomb. So Attorney General uh, sues uh, Holcomb, um, it tries to intervene in his case where he is suing the, uh, the legislature because they passed a law that says that uh, they have a right to call a special session, uh, despite the fact that our state constitution says only the governor uh, has that right. Uh, and I will say on this issue, i sorry, I have to give you a little bit of a little sidetrack here for a second, because I have mentioned this a few times and I felt like I was the only one saying it, so maybe I'm, you know, out there. But now I've heard other people say it. And that is this notion. Uh, so we recall uh, after uh, Joe Biden won the election, one of the first things that um, the former president did was go to state legislatures and try to get those state legislators, the Republican state legislators, and for example, in Michigan, flew them out to Washington for a nice dinner with the president and tried to convince them to overturn the election results in their state. So at the time we all said, no, legislators have no power to do that. Um, only boards of elections certify election results. Um, and then when you know this was all over, state legislators uh, opened to sessions in 2021 and bills came out that like I could hear those words here and there that legislators could then, you know, uh, if they felt like there was a problem, they could intervene. Uh, so all these kind of clues to me that, uh, that, that Republicans around the country were trying to pass these state laws that were usurping the uh, authority of the state legislature. Um, so of course, this isn't exactly that, but this is now a Republican legislature trying to usurp the constitutional power of a governor. So, uh, so give us the update on this case. What's going on? So the governor hired his own private counsel um, and he sued the legislature. So um, name parties are, um, you know, Senator Bray and others. And he does this and the um, attorney general, Todd Rakita says, I didn't give you permission to hire outside counsel. So where does that come from? It's, it's from statute. And there's been arguing about this before. Uh, and, you know, yes, the governor has to have permission when it's like a state agency, but the governor's arguing that he's not a state agency, he's the governor. And so he should be able to hire his outside, uh, hire outside counsel. He hired um, John Trimble from Lewis Wagner and, and John's team, and they're doing a, a, a pretty good job. It's set for hearing uh, on the 16th of this month because the AG filed a motion to strike saying that uh, John and his counsel were unauthorized <laughs> as counsel for the governor, and that only he can decide 
Well, that already looks uh, suspicious, doesn't it? Because why is the AG the the sole decider um, on on what uh, constitutional questions can be uh, uh, raised in court? And so um, that's where we are. And so what we've seen all this this Republican infighting, and you know, we even have allegations that the the AG is violating the rules of professional conduct because he's trying to represent people on both sides of the aisle. And a separation of powers argument. I mean, just multiple arguments being made. And so again, that's set for hearing on the 16th. You know, this causes pains with the public because this costs money, right? So just for the governor to sue the legislature, he already had a higher outside counsel. So those aren't state resources that we already have at the AG's office. Um, and this is a lot, a lot of time. And so while they're busy um, with their infighting, you know, hopefully the Democrats are running offense. <laughs> right. Um, right. So, so we, and we see uh, Todd Rokitting, uh like to, you know, poke his nose into call all kinds of issues. And um, I think um, one of these issues that's coming up around Indiana, and I really want to talk about this a lot um, because this is a really scary, again, another you know, you, you hear these kind of words that, you know, just pique your interest, like something is wrong here. So um, this issue of, you know, it's all being lumped into this uh, acronym CRT, critical race theory, which isn't even correct. It's a, you know, a false narrative about uh, teaching actual truthful history. Um, you know, uh, but a lot of Republicans, including Rokita, has tried to uh, recast this as a narrative about uh, may, uh, you know, being divisive and, um, and, and you know, white victimhood of, of reality. Uh, so it's tough. It's tough when you have to listen to a history um, that doesn't reflect well on your race. But you know what? It's, it's the truth is the truth is the truth. So, of course, in Indiana, now we have seen um, outside organizations, um, very slick, uh, well-funded, uh, kind of nationalist um, uh, approach coming into school districts in Indiana and trying to activate parents to fight against schools teaching real truthful history. Um, that includes uh, a history of slavery and the impact on African-Americans that that had and continues to have. So, uh, so now um, tell us how, you know, Todd Rokita plays in this story. So AG Rokita has led a 20 state effort in writing a letter to the um, education secretary condemning critical race theory and the 1619 project being taught in schools. And um, as we were discussing earlier, I think this is a bigger GOP strategy um, to target suburban voters. And we see that largely happening in our um, 5th congressional district. And why, why the fifth, um, you know, it was percolating there. And also it's near enough to the indie market that it's going to, you know, make the news, make national news. And these are the issues that resonate with voters, you know, so is this the new defund the police issue? I don't know, but we have to also look, you know, as to why is the attorney general getting involved? Um, and these issues are largely decided at the local level, you know, um, you know, vote for the right um, school board members if you, if you don't like it. 
But I think if the AG is really posturing to run for run for governor, um, this is a, a opportune moment for him to get into what is going to end up being or already is a national conversation. Those national conversations that uh, people see on Fox News and uh, take with them to the polls. Right. It's another. It's going to be a, the new dog whistle. Will be a critical race theory. Okay. So now, speaking of elections. Um, now, um, you have informed me that there has been created an election integrity caucus in Congress. And, um, and again, uh, these are Republicans who are trying to uh, push these state audits um, that are not really audits. They're anything but audits, uh, you know, using people who are politically biased, who are inexperienced, who don't know how to, how to do audits, and of doing all kinds of publicity around it. Okay. Now, again, tell us, AG, what's his role in this one? Right. So he's everywhere. Um, <laughs> and so this caucus is formed around this man, this Republican manufactured um, loss of trust and how do we restore trust in the process? And so he has um, been in front of them. He's been on video. He has it out on his Twitter where he's talking about um, voter ID, going back to his days as secretary of state. And I mean, again, it's just like, what does this have to do with being an attorney general? It's completely outside of his lane. We have a secretary of state <laughs> and she's Republican. So I don't know um, why, why he's stepping in on her like that. She must be okay with it. Um, but, you know, he's holding up ideas trying to sound savvy, talking about, look, like, let's use blockchain technology. We can't have faith in, in the postal service, but we can use blockchain technology, which is a huge cyber threat. <laughs> and so he's getting involved in these national conversations about, about voter ID laws. Uh, and, and we saw that we talked last time um, he had been in front of Congress talking about, you know, voter ID and you called him the patsy of Ted Cruz. So he's continuing to be the patsy of the GOP uh, as far as election integrity is concerned. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, okay. So there's more, we have to go through because there's a little list is long. So we have to move on. You know, we're so speaking now, briefly on all of these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're trying to, we're, because there's so many to talk about. So, um, so the next one we need to update on is the big tech investigation. This notion that, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter um, somehow are, are victimizing consumers uh, by having them sign an agreement and uh, holding them to that agreement, basically. Right. I'm trying to completely reframe um, the authority and position of big tech companies as somehow big government uh, who is you know, required to give you first amendment rights. Um, you know, they're just a company, they're not the government. Um, they're not required to do any such thing. So give us the update on that case. Well, I wanted to mention the first time we talked, I. I slipped in there. I said, I forgot to talk about consumer protection, you know, and I feel like it was foreshadowing <laughs> because, yeah. you know, the, the attorneys general, uh, they do a lot of work um, on behalf of state, state consumers, you know, individual citizens. Uh, that's part of the good work they do. Rokita's office does good work. They, they do protect consumers. There are great. I always, you know, I'm preaching there are great deputies there um, putting in the work. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily get the attention when you uh, want to talk about big tech. He's, you know, splashing around. I'm investigating big tech. And so how does he do that? So states have what they are, there's their um, consumer protection 
acts. Ours is the uh, Indiana Deceptive Consumer Act. And what that does is it protects consumers when they're being sold like false goods or fraudulent services. So services is where Rakita is saying that, um, you know, big tech companies have been um, selling services or not even selling really, right? Providing services to consumers that are fraudulent. Um, like, you know, with, the, and, and where did he come up with this? Okay. A couple of people made, um, complaints to the AG's office as we can as consumers. So, you know, uh, call them up if you have problems with things. Um, but you know, Hey, my, my Twitter account, I was censored, you know, so these are the things that he's using to, to pursue an investigation. How does that work? Okay. We have things called subpoenas, you know, they're part of discovery, discovery and litigation. Um, as far as attorney, an attorney general conducting a civil investigation, he has what are called civil um, investigative uh, demands, and they're called CIDs. So he issues these CIDs to the big big tech companies, saying, "I'm, I need documents. I need everything you have um, in regards to." And then it. it, it makes claims in, in the, in the CID, uh, a, a little bit more technical. I won't get into it. Um, and so this happened with Texas, Texas did this to, to Twitter for censoring, well, you know, suspending the account of president Trump. And so I think it's a good case to look to how this works. Um, Twitter sued in California, um, they, they sued, uh, Texas and said, Hey, this is first amendment retaliation. And the court said, you know, this, uh, issue is not really ripe, uh, to discuss it's, it's premature. Um, so if you just don't answer the CIDs, then Texas can ask for a court order to enforce those CIDs. Uh, and it, it'll go from there. And there's a similar case going on right now out of, um, Massachusetts CAGs going, is has been for some years now investigating Exxon Mobil, and that's you know dragged out because there it's millions of documents. This is a, these are very very a very tedious process for companies, and especially when you have mul multiple states coming at you because states aren't necessarily allowed to share um, what they receive on behalf of those demands with other states, uh, and so that's nothing's been said. Uh, you know I think these tech companies will just not answer. And so then uh, Rokita will have to, to sue to get those court orders to enforce, enforce those CIDs. And, um, you know, those, I, the, there's a previous Indiana legislator who said, um, you know, the uh, Indiana Deceptive Consumer Sales Act wasn't meant for this purpose. And I don't really find that a very compelling argument. It is a service. I mean, Indiana residents are getting a service from these companies and uh, attorney generals are allowed to make these demands on companies that aren't headquartered in their state um, through uh, long, long arm statute. And um, so we'll see where it goes. The bottom yeah, line I mean, is, the bottom line is, is that the, the AG's office is going to have to use a lot of resources to sue big tech because the big tech, they're the richest companies in the world. Todd Rakita is going after the richest companies in the world on a political issue. It's a political issue. And that's really the takeaway from all this. I can do all my legal jargon. Sorry, I get a little too technical sometimes, but you should be mad. <laughs> because this is the poor use of your tax dollars, um, you know, and the office is already, you know, is already strained. Um, deputies usually, 
they're known to have dockets, very voluminous dockets that, you know, to try to keep up with. So we should want an attorney general who's using the resources of the office, um, you know, in, in a proper way, not for his own personal gain. And, and this is really for his personal gain at the end of the day, uh, if he decides to run for future office, which when has he ever not ran for office? He, he like ran for office out of college and hasn't stopped since. Oh, geez. We need to find some quiet little, quiet little office that he can, you know, be occupied with. But I mean, I, I guess there's just no way to contain him, it looks like. Um, so, right. And of course, that whole, you know, thing, using all these tax dollars for that kind of case, if he goes to court and he enforces those CIDs, then we've got, um, we've got an AG office who is going to be taxed with spending all of our tax dollars trying to sort through millions and millions of documents and really are going, in my opinion, going to come up with nothing. I mean, uh, people sign an agreement if they want to use Facebook. The, the agreement sets out the rules for, you know, censorship. Uh, you know, they're not required to do anything more that they, than they have contracted with you to do. And uh, it would be hard to say, uh, I think that uh, now these uh, now these companies, you know, are now like governments and, and owe you a constitutional right of free speech. I, you right. know, I just, I don't see that happening. And, and it's even bigger than that. Um, I forgot to touch on, it's just not the big tech companies that have received CIDs at this point. It's eight civil rights leaders that were in a meeting with Zuckerberg at Facebook mm-hmm. talking about, you know, ab- advocating for for the people that they try to protect through through their civil rights work, um, you know, being harassed, et cetera, on Facebook. Facebook has meetings all the time with people, but yet the Rokita administration chose to pick out eight civil rights leaders that when you look at all eight are, are um, black or brown. So there's not one civil rights, one white person that's received a CID. It just looks preposterous, you know, just the the racial undertones of of what they're doing um, in pursuit of this investigation. Right. And it really does further that false narrative uh, that the Republicans like to put out there that, you know, civil rights uh, people and the um, big tech people, you know, they're all in cahoots to, you know, victimize white men. Um, So... Um, and I think that that's, you know, again, this whole race baiting uh, issue just seems to, they think that this is going to get them somewhere. Um, and I just, I don't see that happening. I just don't see it happening. Okay, next item. Okay. Now, um, there's another lawsuit and uh, that uh, you say uh, Attorney General Todd Rokiti is actually the lead attorney on um, against the Biden administration. And this one, I think, uh, has to do with federal oversight of uh, environmental protection uh, regulation in the states. Tell us more about that. Well, and we discussed this one on the last show, so I won't go too much into it. It happened in March, but I'm just, I I want everybody to understand the different types of litigation that the AG's office enters. So the counsel of record on that case is the Solicitor General for Indiana, Tom, Tom Fisher, um, an excellent attorney. And so don't, don't be thinking that Todd actually like litigates this does stuff. Legal, okay? legal <laughs> he, turn, yeah. he turns it over to the pros. Um, and, um, you know, Tom, Tom's been developing that practice there for, um, I don't know, I, I, like almost 20 years or something. I don't, he's been there for a while since the early two thousands. And so they do sue the Biden administration, um, because of climate change regulation. 
And then like the very next week, they asked the Supreme Court to hear a California um, tort case where um, cities are trying to um, sue uh, because of climate change and uh, they want to be involved in that. So on, on one account, they want the federal government to not get involved on the state, you know, this very federalist type of argument. And then within days, they want the Supreme Court to take up a state case because they're trying to make this attenuated argument that, um, you know, if California cities are allowed to litigate this in state court, that they will set national, um, you know, climate change precedent. And so those cases are, are going on right now. Right. Um, so yeah, consistency is not is not required anymore, apparently. So just right. on a side note on that whole issue, you remember the case um, from the young people who sued um, they sued, who did they sue? The Trump administration um, about the future um, that, that, that we are taking away from them uh, because we are not addressing climate change. Um, and, we're and they lost, they lost that case, it was that. But in Germany, a European country, um, one of those cases succeeded. And the court did find that, um, that the current administration had a duty to protect the environment for um, for the future of these kids, so it'd be interesting. That's fairly recent and probably not well fleshed out yet. So um, that's an interesting development. I thought we should keep in mind. Okay, all right. Next item. Um, let's see. Um, so, I, and I, you wanted to talk a little bit about Amicus Curiae briefs, uh, just to kind of really describe because you know uh, this is really uh, he's really a you know a prolific um, friend of the court brief writer. And um, again, mostly for the purpose of getting his name in the newspaper. So tell us about some of those. Okay, so I wanted to explain what they are and how they're, they're used by Republican attorneys general um, in particular. So these friend of the court briefs, so traditionally, you, in any case, you have two sides, right? And you, um, we have a plaintiff defendant and these amicus briefs are called friend of the court briefs because you are just adding context for the court uh, and anyone can can write them. Now, uh, there are times where they've they've held a lot of weight, you know, um, Brown v. Board of Education for the desegregation of schools. The ACLU's amicus brief was very important. Uh, there's another case, uh, Baker v. Carr, that determined that federal courts could hear redistricting cases. Very important. And I want to highlight that one in particular because that brief was written by the U.S. Solicitor General. And so they are very persuasive when, the, when they come from the Solicitor General. So now we, you know, you have attorneys general that see that um, private companies can persuade frequent flyers, you know, so the ACLU, the more you file, the Solicitor General, the more you file. And now, so the Republicans kind of have taken this, um, you know, uh, a play out of the playbook and like, let's just file a lot. Now that's not to say that the Democrats didn't do this, <laughs> didn't do the same thing during Trump. Um, you know, it, it, I think if you go really back to, uh, when Roberts, when the Roberts court began, um, you, you see that, uh, like around 85% of all of the filings on the Supreme court docket are friend of the court briefs. Wow. Even mother Teresa has filed a friend of the court brief, um, 
about women's reproductive rights. So that just shook that I say that one because it tells you how ideological um, these briefs can be. And does the Supreme Court really even read them? You know, RBG uh, said, uh, you know, we get so many <laughs> that we put them into three piles. The we're not reading that pile, but we'll skim that pile. And oh, we should read this one pile, you know, so, so it just depends on really the issue and the, uh, and the justice, uh, if they take them into consideration. So you see now this block of about 20 Republican attorneys general that file these amicus briefs on issues all the time. And, and so, so I, sometimes you'll see like Rakita saying, I'm, we're suing over the Keystone pipeline. And you're like, what does that have to do with us? The Keystone pipeline, you know? Um, And it's because he's, he's signed on as a a friend of the court and he, his office didn't even write it. Right. He's just like one of 20 people that's basically written a letter to the court for the court to read as to why it's important to state interests. And, um, I I like how um, I saw it broken down once. It's usually three reasons that lead them to do this um, to protect federalism for, you know, federalist reasons. Um, It's cheap, right? So you're not having to actually enter into litigation. So what you see uh, Rakita doing with big tech, that's going to, that is going to be expensive, but these letter, these friend of the court briefs aren't. And then also three, it's just political. Um, and so you see uh, the parties becoming more polarized and um, these AGs filing these briefs. And then at the end of the day, when all said and done, if the party that they sided with wins, they get to say we won. Right. Yeah. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean they, they won just the, the horse they bet on. Uh, right. One. Right. Um, and so we have that there. We They do it in state court too. Um, and sometimes they do it for a good reason, right? So state court, we have a, there's a Telephone Consumer Protection Act case that they filed out of Marion County. Um, but, you know, you're probably not going to hear them talk about that. You're going to hear them talk about these large national issues. And it all just goes back to, you know, really a political strategy. Um, and then the office has uh, lately had some other involvement, not um, necessarily amicus briefs, but I did want to touch on it um, in, in Title X cases, um, transgender right cases, uh, a case and reproductive rights litigation. So, and then you also saw um, lately the AG touting that the state won, we won um, on a uh, state level case um, with the uh, Catholic Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Oi, that's all I can say. Oi, yeah. yeah so, so, not going so basically, on. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Just um, you know, like a like you say, a cheap way to um get get your name in the paper. Um, so I mean, I've actually yes, been, yes. Know, we didn't even talk about his tie. Oh, right, 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 right. We do have to mention the tie. So yeah, and you know, when we talk about you know understanding the Constitution, it fits into the big tech industry, I think, because he's trying kind to. Of um, but, um, right. So tell us the tie story. Oh, let's end on that. Cause it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so he has a, yeah, he has, um, an, um, uh, a piece on him that runs in the IBJ and the Indiana lawyer, you know, about him pursuing his version of justice, you know, and he talks about how he's being accused of being very, very active, you know, and he tries to say that, He's just doing what he thinks is the job of a statewide office holder, you know, but he has a tie on that has 
the constitution on it. And, you know, so he talks about his graphic tie and, you know, that he likes, you know, to wear it because it reminds um, the office of, of what they're there for, what, you know, and it's just like, maybe that's half the problem, you know, that he just, that's what he reads the constitution off as his yeah. tie. <laughs> just get a pocket constitution like every other lawyer. <laughs> right, you might want to, you know, invest in a little more comprehensive, uh, you know, writing of the country. It's just so corny. It's worth mentioning. It's yeah. fun to poke at. Hey, if he's going to yeah. put himself out like that, but out there like that, then he has to. Yeah, know, he's got to take the, take the heat. So um, great. All right. I think we hit everything up to now, but I know that we will be back soon for more updates. And uh, we went through everything so quickly and that, that's hard, um, but there's so much. And I just really want to say thank you so much. And um, congratulations on your new position. You are now the uh, Indiana State Democratic Party Deputy Chair for Coalitions and Expansion. Which Great job. I, yes, I got it. I got it. First try. So, uh, yeah, I'm just very excited about it. No one uh, could be better for that job than you. And I just I'm so excited about um, the work that uh, that you'll be doing to bring together uh, all kinds of uh, organizations uh, who have the same mission in mind. I uh, really talking about, you know, what are the basic democratic principles that are out there working for real people, providing real, real solutions for real people and, you know, smart, smart criminal justice reform, all kinds, you know, addressing climate change, um, helping, you know, bring equality to the genders. I, I, you know, I never even know how to even say that without just starting a rant. So. Um, all of those great principles that Democrats um, stand for. And there are so many organizations uh, who, who believe in those principles. And um, now it's your job to bring them all together. So <laughs> well, give yourself some credit. Give yourself some credit for putting forward, you know, the idea of co we, we need coalition building within the party. So hopefully it'll be a good fit since I, I did some of that coalition, coalition building in Afghanistan. <laughs> the Indiana landscape's a little different, but uh, I'm I'm pretty excited. So thanks. Oh, that's a you're going to do a great job. So all right, well, thank you so much, Destiny. Um, I look forward to seeing you again soon. I always enjoy chatting with you. You're the best. Great, thanks, Deb.